And, you know, men have been abusive. Women can be abusive. You know, there's just such a thing as treating people right. We all understand that. As soon as your toes get stepped on, you know the difference between right and wrong. Hello, and welcome to this edition of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Mazella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. After enjoying this discussion of God's Word, if you are seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now for today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, I give you praise and glory that you have invited, you have ordained people into your kingdom. A kingdom where you are king. And that there have always been people throughout the ages who have expected something better, something different. Whether it was word of mouth from Adam to Abel or Abel to his descendants, or in the days of Noah expecting a flood, always those who have been mockers who have rejected the idea of God and of prophecy and of a coming new world. Their world was destroyed and redone, and there has been the promise of rectifying that world and making it into something new. I give you praise, Lord, for the people who have not rejected, not mocked, not because they were born that way, but because you rectified us. Make us, made, making us, or have made people in the past into something new, different, better. We're born sinners and left to ourselves, Lord. We're, we're evil and unbelieving. But Lord, when you do something, you do it well. It may not be complete in this age, but in the presence, in your presence, there is righteousness and to perfection. And you're the one who gets, should get the credit for it. I pray, Lord, that you would just guide me as I speak through this, this text of Scripture, one that's one of glory, to be sure, in the midst of great devastation. But I pray, dear Lord, that we would see Jesus and the cross and see the, where the glory really belongs. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are looking at episode 83 in That They Might Know, the podcast That They Might Know. And the wedding you won't want to miss is the name of this particular, this episode. I will be looking at Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. And in in those verses, we see this statement, quote, Let's rejoice and be glad. And give the glory to him, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do that. 
I am a fellow servant of yours and your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. You know, in this opening line are the words, let's or let us rejoice and be glad. Let me tell you, there is, there, I mean, everybody's been to a party, you've been to a festival, a wedding, a banquet of some sort or another. You know, in those parties, you know, people are happy. They're rejoicing. They make noise. They have fun conversations. You know, and, and in all of that, you know, where's the focus? Well, if you're in a church, hopefully, you know, the, the focus would be on God. But, you know, you go to a sports event, for example, and where does the glory go? I mean, does the glory go to God during a sports event? Where's all the cheering about the guy who makes the touchdown, you know, or the batter who makes the home run, or the catch, or, you know, it just goes there. And the stats, they just... They go on cards, and kids used to, I don't know if they still do, you know, kind of trade cards for money. And, you know, everybody knows this name and all these stats, and this is what this man, he batted 500, and tremendous, you know, and it, it never goes anywhere else. It always goes directly to the man or the woman, almost always, almost always. But the glory in heaven goes in one place. Not, not, not 5,000 or 5 million places, just one. You know, God is expressed in the word of God for omnipresence. He's everywhere present at the same time. He's everywhere. And he's eternal. And he's everything beyond what we understand. He has all power. I mean, no one can even approach his power. He creates from nothing. You know, uh, how do you create something from nothing. Nothing by definition is zero. Nothing. And this is what God does. This is who God is. And well, in a heavenly frame of mind, where there's a God who we cannot possibly relate to, where we, underst- we don't understand what makes him work. You know, he, he's always been. How, how, do you t- how do you explain that? Well, you know, this I could see where that could raise some serious doubts and worries and concerns. Like, here I am. I want to live. I didn't born myself, you know, like I was born. Parents who took care of us for years before we started to get the slightest clue about what was going on. And we have no power. I mean, if we get a heart attack, you know, like we can't save ourselves. We're just really, when you think about it, so powerless. So powerless. You're on the rail, you know, road one minute, you're just, just in control of this automobile with 450 horses, you know, and and the next minute you're on your way to the hospital and you can't keep yourself alive. You know, this is life. So now what about God? So people say there's a God. Well, I can't relate to this God. I can't see, touch him. You know, I can't hear him. You know, what, 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 why should I trust him? I mean, we can get that part of it. And so God makes promises and like, why do I, so what do I know that uh, 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 10,000 years from now, Let's just say there is another life, and after this life and another life, what's going to keep me going? Like, what if he gets up on the, on the wrong side of the bed one day, and he says, you have to get these people, and they're gone. And we're all just gone. 
I mean, I'm just trying to see this, this side of it for a moment. I mean, let's just kind of think through it. I mean, I hear people all the time. I'm not going to mention any names right now. And, you know, they, they talk and they don't know God. And it's obvious and evident. They believe in a God. But they're, they'll even say they don't know God. No one can know God. That's what they say. And so then they just start to conjecture on what God is like and why we should believe in God and all of that. But there's no personal like, yeah, I've had a conversation with him. Doesn't matter that he wrote a book. It doesn't matter that the, bo- the book is as precise as can be. It doesn't matter that it's like a perfect book. It doesn't matter that it's reasonable and makes sense. It doesn't mean matter. Nothing seems to matter about the book as if God could actually talk to you through the book. And you get to know God through the book and then you talk back. And that's that we call praying. It's in a spirit of worship and you're believing in the God. These are two different, to- totally different types of people two different elements that exist on planet Earth. The, the, the knowers, very few, and the can't possibly know uh, in the many. And so in, in order to fix this, God did one thing, was he became a man. He put on humanity. We, we learned this from 34, 33 AD, where, uh, uh, of course, the Roman calendar is a little bit off, but or the way we interpret it. But, that being the case, like, okay, so how many people in the world have ever had the date set according to their birth? And if you say one, you'd be right. One in all the millions, now billions, eight billion people on the planet just now in our, in our time, and let alone all the people that have come before, all of those people that have ever been born, one man had the date set according to his birth. Just think about that. And everyone will say, well, you know, you can't prove Jesus was real. And they want to turn him into a fictional character. And so I'm, led, I'm supposed to be led to believe that a man who had the calendar set for his birth was fictional. Okay, suppose it's possible. Very unlikely. Very unlikely particularly when you read about Jesus and you understand just how his teachings are like really do unto others or you have them do unto you. Yeah, and there have been men who have come before and, you know, they'll cite and say, you know, this wasn't exactly completely a new thing. But the fact is the Bible also talks about angels and demons. And if you study the scriptures, you see that he's always corrupting the true religion, and that's why you have so many religions and you have so much, so many teachings going on around the world. And it's like, I guess that all came by accident, or where did men get these ideas? But without going too deep into that, we're left with a God, put on humanity, had the date set according to his birth, and then he made promises. All throughout the scriptures, there's promises, the Old, New Testament, by which it is impossible for God to lie to assure us that there will never be a need for fear. And when he put on humanity, it talks about taking away the things that we have done wrong and nailing them to his cross when the, when the Romans came and crucified him at the request of the Jews, or in particular, Jewish leaders, because they didn't want their seat of influence lost. And so we have this God who puts on humanity, pays an eternity of price, 
How do you know that all of that happened? Well, because of martyrs. You know, people aren't too quick to give their life away. Tens of thousands of people have given their life away for a man they never met. Why would they do such? I mean, it's one thing in, a, in war. You know, you take some drugs, you go into the battle, you get killed. You know, you don't even know any better. Or if you're not doing drugs like they did in Vietnam and, and the Japanese in World War II and fly their, their planes into ships, well, you know, you, you're dying, but you're dying maybe for a cause, something you believe in. The freedom that America has experienced and placed a middle class on, uh, on so many people, and it's a good thing, and you're able to do what you want. So maybe a man would even be willing as there were so many during World War One and World War Two, to go out and do. That might happen. But for someone that you don't even know exists, and, the, and horrifying deaths too. I mean, the martyrdom has been horrible. I'm not even going to go into the details here, but just horrific ways to die for a man that supposedly they could never have known. The context in this these verses from Romans, uh, Revelations 19, 7 through 10, which is the marriage feast of the Lamb, which is the climax uh, of that part of history where Christ is wed to his church and prepared to go into a thousand-year reign with Christ. The uh, context for this scripture, you know, the earth has, as you go through Revelation, has entered into a seven-year period of tribulation. They call it tribulation because, I mean, there's wars, there are all the horrors that accompany the wars, there's uh, uh, finally the, the rise of the Antichrist along with the false prophet. I mean, there's the, just evil in the world that goes to a magnitude that the world hadn't seen before. Great persecution goes throughout the world, particularly during you know the first three and a half years. Great rejection, the Jews suffer, and at some point turn to Christ at the end of the Gentiles. Now, I want to look at a little bit of that and understand what's going on because it's kind of in contrast to this marriage feast. People talk about the rapture and the church being caught up and, and the timing of that is, and some believe there is no really just at the end, just there's no tribulation period. And, and without going into the details of that, uh, uh, what I want to look at is Luke 21, verse 24. This is Jesus speaking, and he said, And they will fall by the edge of the sword, and we be, will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So there's the time when the Gentiles are done. And we're talking about done being used in the prophetic manner that God used the Old Testament prophets to proclaim the law and to proclaim God and to proclaim the coming of Christ and the prophecies, all which has been fulfilled. Well, that was handed over when Jesus went to the cross. He died. The gospel was preached. The New Testament was written by Jews. I mean, in early church, there were multitudes of Jews, but as time progressed into the first century, there was this wholesale rejection by the Jews. And at that point, um, the Apostle Paul, the Apostles, turned to the Gentiles, and they understood that. And there was this 
putting off of the Jewish nation for a time. And if you study Romans 9, 10, and 11, unless you're going to do some serious twisting of the scriptures, they plainly declare that the, gen- that the Jewish people would be restored. So in, John, in, James, in Luke 21, that I just read, verse 24, the, the word times, and the times of the Gentiles, mean a fixed and definite time. Referring to things coming to a head to take full advantage in suitable time and right and a favorable moment. I mean, this is like an exact moment in time. Something's going to happen. When things are brought to a crisis, a decisive epoch waited for, a limited period of time. And so it's very narrowed, and it's told the, the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And that word fulfill is fill to individual capacity. To cause, to abound, to furnish, or supply liberally. I mean, it's just like this filling. To render perfect. These are the various meanings for this. To carry through to the end. Bring to realization, realize, finish. I mean, that's the word. This isn't like an ongoing thing. This is a moment in time when this is meant to take place in perfectly timed and fulfilled. And in, in Romans eleven twenty five and 26, it said, do, I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a period, a uh, partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. This is the Apostle Paul the converted Pharisee who was having the church martyred, Stephen dying at his feet as they threw coats to Paul, you know, for his good job, well done, and then he becomes a Christian at the hand of, by God's grace and miracle. And after becoming a Christian, he actually became an apostle to the Gentiles. And he's writing this. And so he, he talks about the fullness of the times coming in. And so Romans 11, uh, Romans eleven twenty six, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Fullness is the same as Luke 21, 24, is come in, to go in, enter, to enter in to for an important purpose for the believer doing so is to experience the result of the Lord's eternal blessing. The breath of life entered into, kind same concept, and remained in them, Revelation 11, 11, to arise, come into existence, begin to be. This is the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. They're coming into existence. You know, so long, there's always a remnant, and every nation is only a remnant. Broad is the way that leads to, leads to destruction. Many go in that way. But narrow is the gate. You know, few there be that find that way to eternal life. And here it is that that life is coming into and it's saying an an entire nation, maybe not every last single person, but an an entirety of a nation coming to Christ. It's prophesied. It has to happen. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Gentile, you like it or not. It's going to happen. Verse 7, let's rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him because the marriage of the Lamb has come. It's it, this, it, this is as sure as it was happening right now. The portion from verses 7 to 10 of Revelation 19 
begins in verse 7, giving glory to the correct person. I've already talked about that a little bit. The glory is due to the Lamb of God, a phrase used a number of times in the book of Revelation. Judgment is falling on the earth, but glory is being given to the saints, by the saints, to the one God, towards the end, in heaven at this marriage feast. The preparation is in verse 8. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now you got this difference between soiled, filthy, dirty garments, you know, of a, uh, a peasant or a pauper or someone who is, you know, dirty because of their poverty, you know, contrasted with great wealth and, and great power and kings and queens. And, and here you have the earth going through torment at the, at the feet of people who are in control, namely the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all those wrapped around him. And the rest of the world is, is suffering. And there's, there's carrying on in the world, and there's all kinds of sin taking place, and there's people like always been the rich and the poor. But Matthew 22 and verses 1 to 14 says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, this is about uh, an illustration of the kingdom to come. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who held a wedding feast for his own. This is while Jesus was walking on the earth. And he told the story and he sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come unpopular, a very nasty phrase, not that Jesus was nasty in telling it, but explaining what's happening, and it's been happening since Adam. They were unwilling, the invitation is put out, but they're unwilling to come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who had been invited, behold, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened calf, and all butchered and everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. But they said no. They paid no attention and went their separate ways. One of his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and treated them abusively and then killed them. So the the man has these slaves and he's sending out these slaves uh, from his kingdom and their slaves are being brutalized and killed. Now the king was angry. He sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their cities on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. So go to the main roads, invite whomever you will, there to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets, gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Now, At this point, I want to break just for a minute and understand something. That the wedding guests coming to this feast, the word is bride, bridal chamber. And it's actually occupied with those called or ordained to attend. It's a little bit different than uh, a, a bride, a groom, and wedding guests by the words in the Greek. So verse 11, when the king came, in to look over the dinner guests in English, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. 
And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Tie his hands and feet, throw him into the outer darkness, for many are called, but few are chosen. And so we're back to chosen again. And that's the wording in in the Greek. They're called and they're chosen. The wedding feast is for his son. The wedding hall is actually a bridal chamber. And those who are called are ordained to attend. The slaves sent are always the prophets and the saints, children of God, who represent God because they love God. They've been brought into a righteous relationship with him. The invitation rejected Israel, all those rejecting the gospel. And a curse is pronounced upon them. Why a curse? Well, you know, God makes certain laws and he makes it for a reason. And so let's look at this idea of immorality. You know, anyone who judges anyone else in our culture, in our climate, you're evil. So the man who commits a murder and he just killed somebody's parents. I mean, now wait a minute. I mean, do we have the right to judge him? Oh, we have the right to judge him because someone else has been hurt. But in immorality don't have the right to judge anybody, not since the 60s. Well, Deuteronomy 22 tells a different tale. This is God speaking, and he said, quote, But if this charge is true, and they did not find the girl to have evidence of virginity, then they shall bring the girl out to the doorway of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death, because she has committed a disgraceful sin in Israel by playing the prostitute in her father's house. So you shall eliminate the evil from among you. And people will stop and they'll say, wait a minute, I mean, doesn't everybody have the right to do what they want? Well, venereal diseases would suggest, just saying it's a suggestion, that that may be a clue that God is not really happy with sex outside of marriage. You realize, of course, if two people are virgins, and they can't possibly pick up a venereal disease, and then they sleep with one another, They'll never get venereal disease as long as they're faithful to each other. It's God who instituted marriage. I mean, marriage has been going on for thousands of years. And people have recognized the sanctity of marriage for thousands of years. They've prosecuted and held it in in a high esteem up until the middle of the 20th century. People have judged harshly. Oh, but you know, they're just behind the times. They don't understand. Well, there's been times in history, too, where, I mean, if you go back even in the book talking about in the, in the days of Xerxes, well, you know, in, in his day, he put on a dinner party. At the, the women were up in arms because uh, of Vashti, who, the king's wife, you know, over this this matter that she actually wouldn't come. And she's like speaking back to the king, who's her husband. So the husband and the wife, you know, it's not like today with feminism and all of that. You know, these things have been going on. And he just threw her out from being a wife and looked for another wife. And, you know, men have been abusive. Women can be abusive. You know, there's just such a thing as treating people right. We all understand that. As soon as your toes get stepped on, you know the difference between right and wrong. But up until that point, particularly if you're getting 
the good side of things, you know, then there's no right or wrong. Then, you know, we just get to do what we want. Well, God says here that he instituted marriage and he doesn't want people having relations with one another outside of that because marriage is supposed to be, it's an institution actually devised to show the faithfulness of God. God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and they are always faithful, always in perfect harmony with one another, no disagreement whatsoever. Beyond our comprehension, we would scoff, men will scoff at such an idea, but that's how God is represented in the Word, and He instituted marriage to reflect on the marriage that will take place. What we're talking about right here and right now, when God brings a people redeemed to Himself, who should pay this kind, of a, this kind of a penalty, not only in this life, but in the life to come. But instead it fell on his son. And so they're not only set free, but welcomed into the family of God. I mean, this is what the Bible calls grace. This is forgiveness, mercy, you know, understanding. I mean, this is beyond comprehension that God should pay a penalty showing his justice, but the justice fell on himself. And people mock at this. It's, it's really, it's sad. It's, it's, it's not right. People understand rejection. Everyone gets hurt and, and hates the idea of rejection. What about, what about the rejection of God? He says, keep the marriage bed holy. And men spit in his face, throw kick dust in his face, and that's okay. Rejection is against God. But those facing the brunt of it in this life are his people. Matthew 23, 31 through 36 says, So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. So he's speaking to the religious leaders related to those who came before. They build the monuments uh, to the people who their fathers killed. He says this, Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your father. You snakes, you offspring of vipers. I'm not saying this, Jesus did. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you will fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechai, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Now, he's not excluding all other generations. He's pointing to the fact that during Jesus' generation, they had him. They could see him. They could touch him. They could hear him. They could observe the miracles when he, he made the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk. I mean, all of this happened during their time. And during that time, they will be held accountable very hard accountable because they were there. You know, those who proclaim the invitation are the saints. Those who have been rejected for the last 200 years and really back to Adam. Those who uh, receive the invitation, which are those whom God speaks to, who he causes to be born again. He places within them a new heart, a heart capable of receiving the truth of the gospel. And now you look at that and you say, wait, what did you say? I mean, I thought people had free will. Well, fact of the matter is um, people are in bondage to sin. That's very clear in the scriptures. Free will is not even in the scriptures. 
Many verses talk against that. Other people want to assume that because there is a choice so given that there must be free will attached to it. Well, fact of the matter is, Martin Luther said if by the idea of free will um, you mean making a choice, you are using far too grandiose a term. And what he meant by that was, okay, so you got free will, you can choose whatever you want. So, okay, choose now to walk to the moon. Oh, you say you can't walk to the moon. Well, then I guess you don't have the freedom to do that. You don't have the freedom to do lots of things. I mean, can you fly with your arms? I mean, can you uh, jump off a 30-story building and live? I mean, there are tens of millions of things, I suppose, that you can't do. But you got the freedom to choose. Well, you know, in, in Jeremiah 23, the prophet there is saying, so look, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can a leopard change his spots? You being evil, can you now do good? No. A man by his own will cannot do good. What's the good that he would have to do? He would have to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. If thou shalt receive Jesus Christ as Lord, thou shalt be saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. But you see, you have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, and no sinner is willing or able to do that. It's not in our DNA. We get our DNA from Adam, and Adam was a fallen sinner, and the whole race was plunged into sin. And as soon as we get to the age where we know right from wrong, we all choose to do wrong. Not a person been born alive who hasn't chosen to do wrong. How do you know that? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you commit sin, the penalty of sin is death. Who do you know that is, I mean, who's, a, who's a 150 years old? Who's gone for 200, 500, 1,000 years? Is there anybody walking around like that? No, there's nobody walking around like that. Because the wages of sin is death. So Romans 9, 6 through 8 says this. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac your descendants shall be named. Why? That it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but children of the promise are regarded as the sin. Promise is given, and then the, the promise must be accepted. God promised he would send a Messiah. He did. The Messiah has come. The Messiah, the Messiah went to a cross. The Messiah, the Messiah died on that cross, and it's the most recorded scene in all human history. No one, no atheistic, true scholarly historian denies the birth of Jesus Christ. Just not done. Why? Because it was done. But who believes it? How many really believe? And the evidence of belief, saving belief, is a transformed life. Signing a card, walking an aisle, saying a prayer is not evidence that you believe. Only that where you used to sleep around, you don't. You used to drink, you don't. Where, where you used to party and where you used to lie and cheat and steal and murder and make idols every time you turn around. All of that changes when you become a child of God. It's a process. It's not perfection in this life, but it's definitely a change of life. That's the only thing, the only proof, the only fruit that a person believes, not because they say they do, and their life turns out exactly the same as it would have been had they not said those words, I believe in Jesus. So I believe in God. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. 
But the preparation of the bride is their righteous acts. Verse 9, Then he said to me, Right blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's a blessing. What's the blessing? The blessing is being joined to Almighty God in in a marital relationship. See, you can have what you want now. You can sleep around. You can fornicate. You can commit adultery. You can break the covenant of marriage. You can do all of it. But then you won't be married to the Lamb. Now you say, well, if I don't have free will and I can't choose, how can I be saved? Well, the, f- the point is, when you get to the point where you realize you're not in charge of your life, you become very desperate. And desperation is what's needed at the cross of Christ. You become desperate for Christ. Then you're starting to add a clue that maybe you really aren't in the kingdom of God because you have a need. And that's where I was in 1967. I went to religious school, but I, I didn't know God. And it it hit me one day. I mean, I I believe in God, but I don't know there's a God. And I went, listening to a preacher, I went from not knowing there was a God to knowing I was a sinner and I was going to hell. There's no question in my mind. And to this day, if it were not for the intercession of Jesus Christ, I would go to hell and I would deserve every second of it in an eternal state. And I know that because it's a conviction, an impression by the Holy Spirit that he places on people's hearts. Does he speak in an audible voice? No. Does he place knowledge in your mind and in your heart that you're like, where did that come from? It came from God. Do the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 of this passage, let me reread it for you because it's been a little while since we went to that. We read through that verse. and let us, Let's rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. Because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I am your fellow servant of yours and your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So therein you have this wonderful invitation to the marriage feast of the Lamb. So the blessing is then he said, right blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. He said to me, These are the true words of God. You know, the emphasis here, I believe, in this phrase, these are the true words of God. The sentence is God. Why? Because when he said that, then I fell to his feet to worship him. Who is he worshiping? You know, it's possible. I don't know what John was thinking when he fell on his feet. Because when he fell on his face to worship God, it was, about, it was about worship. The angel looks, and the, he's at the angel's feet. He's not at God's feet. And so the righteous angel makes a righteous statement and tells him, do not do that. Why? He says, worship God. He wasn't worshiping God. He was worshiping the angel. Maybe it was just that kind of a mistake. I don't know. What I do know is that when he heard these are the true words of God, he fell, to, he fell to worship. Maybe he was thanking God. 
Maybe the angel couldn't read his mind. It doesn't matter. What happened is something to clarify worship. Worship has to have a focus. And the focus can't be an angel. The focus can't be a relative. The focus can't be a job, a career. It can't be sports. It can't be fame. It can't be money. It can only be one thing. And that's Almighty God. And in this context right here, it's the Lamb. Now, he doesn't look like a lamb, but he has lamb-like qualities. He didn't come to hurt, he came to save. And he said that, and he did that. But it's upon rejection in three different verses in the New Testament, in Revelation, that refer to the wrath of the lamb. That's the one you got to worry about. The wrath. When a lamb gets wrathful, now you're in trouble. These are the true words of God. At these words, John immediately went into worship mode. And so he fell at his feet, and the angel rebuked him for it. In Luke 11, it says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it is your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses, and you approve of the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some they will persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, You yourselves did not enter in, and you hindered those who were entering. Now that just tells us one thing. And what that tells us is that from all the way back to the time of Abel, which could have included Adam and Eve, all the way until Jesus, the blood of Jesus is on their head. They were present. They saw it, and yet they did not turn away, didn't receive it. They rejected it wholesale. Only the remnant was saved. Malachi 2, 11-12 says, Judah has broken faith. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob everyone who is awake and aware even if he brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. You know, the fact that a person is religious, we live in this time of ecumenicalism where, you know, it's all one God and everybody's worshiping the same God and it doesn't matter what his name is and it doesn't matter if it's Buddhism or Hinduism or whatever ism it might be. It doesn't mean anything. The only thing is only one God. Well, that's not biblical. The the prophets were martyred because they preached false prophets. The the bride of the Lamb is made bright and clean because they don't go the way of the world. Which way are you going? Are you going the way of religion, even though it's a false religion? Or are you going the way of the one true religion? Religion is just re, is back, and ligion from the Latin is, is God, is back to God. But which way do you get back to God? By your own goodness, your own understanding, well, I didn't do anything bad. Or through the blood of Christ, through desperation, seeing that 
Christ is the only means. He said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Not through Siddhartha Kitama Buddha. You know, not through some 32,000 or whatever it is, gods of the Hindus. Not through atheism. They don't even believe in God. Just, just reject God because uh, we believe in the Big Bang Theory. You know, th- that, that is rejection. Rejection is the issue here. If you reject Christ, you'll be rejected at the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's, that's a wedding you just don't want to miss. The outcome of that wedding, which is coming up in the book of Revelation, you just, just read the following chapters 21 and 22. After the thousand-year reign of Christ, in which he turns this world back into a pre-flood existence, where men were living five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred years. Canopy of water. You didn't have to work so hard to make everything grow. People, the, the lion lays down with the lamb. These are all promises that will come true. And in that perfect environment where all the righteous are seating on seats of authority, no abuses, you know, no, n- no men who are taking advantage of weaker men, no kings and peasants, where all the leadership will live as Jesus said the church should be living. Let him who's greatest among you be the least and the servant of all. That's the way that kingdom will run. There'll be no murders and carrying on. The law will be held out to the letter of the law. You murder, you die. Everything very clear, very straightforward. People, and and there will be no devil. He'll be put away in chains for a thousand years. No temptation outwardly. And though inwardly, people will still be being born in sinful life. There will be that pull. But the way culture is, and you see the way the culture is. You know, back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, no matter how sinful people were, they respected marriage. Since the 60s, everything thrown off because of the culture. And people follow the culture. I'll do whatever I want to do. Don't tell me what to do. This is the culture. And that's what and the attitude everyone has. But during the millennium, the culture will be everything straight, everything right. We don't lie, we don't steal, we don't take advantage of each other, we build each other's houses, we help each other all we can. We have no needs. And there isn't much need because life will be back to the way it was. Flourishing fruit and vegetables. And you know, I don't know all the details, but it's not going to be like it is now. No way, no how, not even close. So that thousand years is just the doorway into eternity. And into eternity, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And it's all laid out in Revelations 21 and 22. And New Jerusalem comes down. It's 1,500 miles cubed. 1,500 miles. And there's room in it for everyone who comes into the kingdom. And there's room for you. Are you desperate? Do you need Jesus Christ? Do you recognize that you need Jesus Christ? If you do, come to Christ. Come to the Lamb you know, become part of the bride that you will enjoy forever without any fear. The universe won't be dark anymore. It'll all be light. There'll be no need of the sun or the moon or the stars. It'll just be light beyond your wildest dream. And it's not made up. It's not fiction. This isn't fantasy. This isn't Mickey Mouse. This isn't a cartoon. This is all real. As real as the life that we live now. And people just... 
can't understand where this evil come when God is so good. It's not about now. It's about what's coming. And it's coming. This has just been 6,000 years. It's been a snap of the fingers to God. And it will be one day to us. When we're living in an eternal state, this is like a joke. I mean, the, the, Paul said this, I reckon that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. That's the state. That's the state of people in eternity. And it won't even be remembered. It, no one will even care. Why? Because of the glory. The glory of Christ. The glory of the kingdom. Not just a building, but the relationship with men, with the living God. Redeemed men. Evil, sinful, haters of God. Men and women. All coming to Christ. Billions, probably. At least hundreds of millions of people who died because they were either very, very young babies you know, little children before they could understand right from wrong, never committed sins, came under the blood of the Lamb of God because there were no deeds that they did were wrong. There was no action. and They just fall under the blood and in the kingdom. This is the grace of God. Could have let them grow up and they would never come to Christ. And all the people that he places his grace upon who come to him. Are you desperate? I hope you're desperate. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this message that you have laid out for us in the book of Revelation where the, the, the marriage of the Lamb comes and all those who bow the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and by your grace have committed themselves to serve him, come what may. What rejection, what hardships. We know the need, Lord, for faith. And apart from you, we have nothing. We're the branch. You're the root. So I pray, dear Heavenly Father, that all your children who might hear this would recognize afresh the need to be desperate every moment of every day, no matter what the day may bring, no matter what the, the hardships or the joys, to take advantage of them and turn that into some kind of idol. Lord, we have enough idols. We don't need any more. Grant that we might walk with you in faith and in truth and connected to you as a, as a bride to her husband, faithful all the years of their life, never cheating, never even wanting to cheat. Lord, I know you're doing that in the hearts of your people. Do it and begin to do it even now for some of my hearers. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.